Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete, where we interview badass, high-performing individuals to learn more about their competitive spirit and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. Hey everybody, I'm here with Scott Ryman, and Scott is um, part of a driver in the BMW CCA, but he is also the chairman of the BMW CCA. Is that right, Scott? Well, chairman of the club racing arm of BMW CCA, which is the whole organization's kind of multi-tentacled, but uh, club racing is an element. Awesome. Uh, And where are you based out of? I live in Barryville, Virginia. Okay. How how far is that from VIR? Uh, VIR is about uh, four hours from here. Uh, the closest track to me is Summit Point, which when the wind is right, I can hear it. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> so, um, well, I want to talk a little bit about your world, uh, what's happening right now for you, how are you participating um, and, you know, kind of contributing because I know you're um, a, a chairman of the club in anything related to motorsports. So kind of give people a picture of what it's what it's like for you right now in motorsports. Well, I think uh, the club racing program is one that uh, has existed since 1995. And I must be the, uh, I don't know, fourth or fifth person who's led the organization. And I've been doing it now for a little bit over two years. Um, the program, you know, we're, we're blessed with uh, lots of dedicated, enthusiastic BMW owner drivers, um, almost all of whom kind of have come up through the HPDE ranks, usually within the BMW CCA driving events program to get where they are today, which ranges from rookies who've raced once or twice with us to uh, folks who've been at it for from the very beginning. We have some license holders. It's all a serial set of numbers, and we have some, uh, you know, two-digit license holders still racing with us. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And you race too? I do. I started uh, I started driving on the track in '04, and uh, in 2006 went to the the Bimmer World uh, sponsored club race school at Watkins Glen and raced that same weekend. Nice. Now. What exposure did you have to motorsports prior to that? So uh, I was a car guy, um, had a BMW starting in 93 or 4, I guess, and that kind of got me hooked on the the brand. Um, Getting to the racetrack was a little bit of a different story. I was... I had a new boss at work and he saw that I had an E36 M3 in the parking lot. And he said, oh, that's terrific. Uh, Have you ever been to the racetrack with it? And I just kind of gave him a German Shepherd tilted head look and said, what do you mean? And he told me about the the, um, BMW CCA's HPDE program. It turns out um, he had raced extensively as in the amateur ranks over the years, including having won the uh, the SEC uh, Endurance Championship in 1987 against a, a very solid guy in BMW lore called Ray Corman. 
Um, so it turns out he, he kind of became a track mentor to me. Um, and that got me going. I ultimately bought a car from him as well. So how, how long did you do the HPDE before you, you did the driver's school? Well, I was, I was uh, blessed with even greater levels of, um, on the surface and patience as, uh, as compared to today. And so I actually started racing just two years after I started driving on track, which is not typical usually of our students who go to race school. Um, but I felt I was ready and the, I guess I convinced the chief instructor to recommend me. So, and it worked out. Okay. Yeah. One thing I noticed when I talked to uh, a lot of the folks from the BMW group, when I was visiting VIR is I was, I was really amazed at the amount of time that each of them had put in to the HPDE to kind of hone their craft, really get um, comfortable with the car and the track and the environment before moving on because they really wanted to get better. Yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, I like to say that BMW CCA's HPDE program, regardless of the chapter that's putting on the program, because there's such a strong central infrastructure, uh, the program is really known for excellence in instruction. And oftentimes, you know, our drivers are patient. Uh, it is it is a big part of being successful in racing, I think, and that patience can extend to making sure that you've developed enough of the skills and comfort with the car to be able to manage uh, in a wheel-to-wheel situation. So uh, prior to the HPDE, you were a car guy, but did you do any other form of racing or anything like that before then? Uh, none whatsoever. <laughs> Um, so talk about, uh, the, maybe the different cars that you've had throughout the years, um, as you've gone through this. Uh, well, so, you know, being an early adopter in the, in the car world, I, my first car I had at 15, I couldn't drive it till I was 16 and a half or whatever the licensing requirements were. It was a 1965 MGB that, um, Fred Flintstone was the prior owner because, you know, it had giant holes in the floorboards where you could actually make the car move by putting your feet down through the floor. Um, that progressed over time, you know, buy and sell, buy and sell. I think by the time I was through high school, I'd had 30 cars. Not all had been driven. A lot of them had been flipped, um, not usually with big profit, just the lots and lots of learning that went on. Um, and, I, you know, during the... Uh, once I got out of uh, high school into college, I settled down a little bit and, and did a lot less flipping and a little bit more focusing on individual cars. I've got um, fond memories of a couple of Datsun 240Zs that I had uh, back in the in the post-college years, uh, Volkswagen GTIs. Um, as I said, the first BMW, started, I started small with a... Uh, with a, an E36 318 with an M42, 138 horsepower. And then the uh, next one I got was this M3 I talked about before. So I skipped over a few a few steps on the way, I guess. Yeah. And then, so uh, for, for just racing purposes, have you been in the same car or you switched out? Uh, the first car that I bought from that uh, mentor I mentioned earlier was a uh, was an E30. It was actually the car that he had won that 1987 championship in. Um, now, so that was a caged race car that uh, had a welded differential, which was great in the dry and in the wet. Uh, there was usually a lot of mud on the car because I was spinning off the track uh, pretty regularly. Uh, and I drove that for three years. You know, a lot of 
folks I'm sure care that you've talked to talk about learning how to drive in a momentum car. You know, mm. a, a slow car learned to be driven fast is going to be the best platform. And uh, after I, I think I ran that three years and uh, I found a, a 95 uh, E36 M3 again, fully caged, had been racing in BMW that I, uh, that I bought uh, in 2009. I still have that car. Um, and just recently I bought a spec E46, mostly to see what all the hoopla is about. Um, I sometimes uh, tell, the, tell the guys who organize and run that show that, you know, it's a bit of a cult and they don't deny it. So, mm. so what do you think? I mean, I know when I met you, you were, you had just received that vehicle, didn't you? And you were kind of. Yeah, it had some, some uh, teething pains at VIR. So I ran in the, I instructed in the race school with it. And then I raced, well, I qualified it and, and raced it once. And then I had some overheating problems. So uh, I'll be back out in, uh, in June at, uh, at our race at Thunderbolt. Got it. So you have probably raced at quite a few races, uh, race tracks around the U.S. Uh, certainly from, you know, kind of the top to the bottom of the East Coast. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe starting at the top. So New Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway has got a, a, a road course. Um, we used to have regular races there. That's less popular now than it had been. Um, moving down Lime Rock, um, Summit Point, Watkins Glen, um, moving further south to VIR, uh, Carolina, Carolina Motorsports Park, Road Atlanta, Roebling. Um, I think I've raced at Pocono as well. Um, that's probably most of them. Yeah. You have a favorite? Uh, I'd have to say that it's... Uh, Oh, I miss Mid-Ohio as well. I think between Mid-Ohio, VIR, and Watkins, those are all the, you know, the iconic name brand tracks. And, you you know, it's, there's no there's no real mystery as to why those tracks are popular. They're, they're fast uh, in the case, certainly, of, uh, of Mid-O and, and, uh, and sections of VIR. They're fairly technical, and uh, they're just great opportunities to go out and exercise your car and your skills. Awesome. Is there is there a particular one that is more conducive to passing? Um, I think one of the nice things about all th three of those tracks is that they provide ample opportunities to pass. You know, if you've got the horsepower, there are plenty of places and straightaways that you can you can exploit that. But uh, all three of them really have good opportunities to pass in corners. Um, you know, people talk about Lime Rock. Um, I once. Uh, expressed surprise that people called it the bull ring. And that was before I'd raced on it. Uh, we raced there a couple of years ago with a club race and we had a, a good sized field and there really is challenge in that entire circuit to be able to find places to pass. Um, so I, I think, I think, um, you know, from my perspective that, that ability to be conducive to great racing, particularly at the amateur ranks where we have a lot of guys, you know, as I mentioned, we've got a lot of folks that are, that are just new to it. Um, they need to have enough opportunity to, to pass, but also to be passed safely. Yep. You mentioned earlier about um, learning how to drive in a momentum car. I don't know that, that I've had a chance to, to, to tell you, maybe I did, but you know, I, I do race in the SCCA and um, this year I'm taking off for the podcast, but when I do race, it's B-Spec. So awesome. We're talking, you know, 105 horsepower and you've got to keep your momentum. If you don't have your momentum, you'll never get out of the next corner. So 
Um, yeah, and, and, and it's terrific too that, uh, you know, in a, in a spec series like that, the differential usually is, it's hard to make the car a lot different from one version of the V-spec to the other. So you're up against, you know, competing against the drivers and that's, uh, that's what makes the spec classes so much fun. Yeah, that that's it's it's been great. It's been a challenge because it's very competitive, but uh, it'll make me a better driver, and so I'm looking forward to that. Just kind of sticking with it. Before you go to the C7 Corvette. Yeah. So tell me about. I mean, with with all these years of racing, uh, you have any races that just stood out as extremely memorable for you, and and what made it so memorable? Uh, so I think it was, it was six, seven, eight years ago. Um, I, we had, this was back when the, when the, I prepared class that my, uh, my, uh, E36 M3 competes in was a little bit more popular just based on the fact that the chassis was younger. I think we had 60 competitors in club racing in the class for that year. I think it was 2014. And I was, um, I had a rivalry with, uh, with, a, with a fellow racer that had extended a number of seasons. And, you know, I'd been working on my game. I finally got to the point where I was competitive with him. And this was a race at NJMP on the lightning track. And it was rare that I would beat him. Um, you know, he, he was a little bit uh, more experienced than I, uh, probably a decade younger than I, which probably made some difference. And um, that particular race, we had some we had some uh, some double yellows that ran in the middle while they cleared some traffic, and then the the double yellows cleared as they were towing the car off, and um, so we were we were we were racing hard until we came up on the white flags, and we had to be cautious based on where the EV was. Uh, but suffice to say that that turned out to be my friend with some traffic and I got by him and I stayed ahead of him. And that's, you know, when, when you've got um, not just a battle during a weekend, but a battle that goes across a season or multiple seasons, uh, it's, it's pretty heartening to finally de deliver uh, on your expectation that you can, you can win. That's a, that's, that's awesome though. 60 cars. Uh, that must've felt great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, that was across the country. So they weren't all there that day, but uh, we usually uh, at that point in time, we usually have a dozen cars in class, mm -hmm. uh, which was, which was pretty nice to see. Cool. Well, how about just the opposite? You've probably had a race or two that you would have rather forgotten any, anything that you you can mention. Um, so some years ago, the, uh, the club had a, a, a fairly short-lived um, endurance program. So these were typically four-hour races that, in, in hindsight, they became just too difficult for chapters to schedule um, because the, 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 a four-hour chunk of time on, a, on an eight- or nine-hour track day is, is just too disruptive to the rest of the things going on in the program. So the three of us uh, shared a car, and I had the last stint in that uh, in that race. And one of our drivers was a little less experienced, and so one of the secrets, of course, with successful um, racing or any kind of track driving, really, is you know you want to use the brakes firmly, assertively, and get out of them. Don't let them get too hot. We watched him in the first stint from the pits as he was um, being a little bit too 
oriented towards the street and how he was driving. So when the second driver took over, he got into the middle of his stint and radioed in. The, the pedal's a little soft, talking about the brakes. Mm -hmm. So what had happened, the, the, brake, the brake fluid had heated up. It was a hot, humid day and water gets uh, you know, absorbed into the fluid. So when I got in for the third stint, uh, the pedal was meaningfully soft. And so uh, there was um, 10 laps that went okay, but it wasn't wasn't an easy drive. And the 11th lap wasn't easy at all because there was no, no brake pedal uh, exiting the track 90 miles an hour in a place where you really didn't want to see that happen. Um, so I guess the, the lessons learned there were, you know, mechanical prep, number one. Number two is that there's, there are lots of subtleties in racing and that as you get better at it, you start to be able to track and understand those things. But it takes, uh, it takes a, lot of, uh, a lot of experience, sometimes the hard knocks. That car ultimately, um, I, I went off the track. I negotiated through a fair amount of runoff, but there was a, a tire wall barrier protecting a jersey barrier, and I hit that tire wall barrier at not a tremendous speed, but enough speed and momentum to roll the car, yeah. came down on the wheels. Um, all was good. In fact, the car is uh, is uh, set up for endurance now. It's out of my driveway. Uh, a buddy replaced the roof on it. That was really the only mechanical damage to the car. And I was fine. So. Good, good. <laughs> Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. In my very short time racing, I've also been in a car that rolled. Um, it ended up upside down. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, that's it. Really, is amazing the safety features and precautions and everything built into these vehicles um, to kind of help protect the drivers in case something were to happen. So, I was very thankful for that. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that I think all the BMW CCA club racers are sometimes they they may have complained along the journey, but we're generally at the leading edge when it comes to mandated safety equipment. And uh, there's a good reason for that. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about what someone should expect to experience if they go through the, the driver's education school, like the one that you were um, um, participating in whenever I was at VIR? Yeah. So, so typically uh, the, the race school um, brings First off, a, a very long history of, uh, and I think that provides it with a lot of credibility. Uh, I don't know that the first one was in 2002, but it's been 20 plus years. And Bimmer World, um, with a known and well-established um, aftermarkets parts business, but also as a, as a credible and ongoing pro race house, uh, sponsors the series. And I think the, the combination of longevity, um, lots of clear thinking and well-developed race practices that make up the curriculum that go back for this long duration, which we, you know, we've, 
we've built on it. We don't have 20 years uh, experience in, in the worst way possible, which is one year of experience 20 times. We have 20 years of race school delivery experience. And so the instructors all know what they're responsible for. The curriculum is well-developed. The on-track exercises are proven and effective. And we survey everybody who attends the school without fail afterwards. So we get, we got, you know, we survey monkey to, to ask six or eight or 10 questions, including comments so that we can take that feedback, not only from the instructors who take part, but also from the students who participate to continuously improve the program. And a student will come in and we have a the, the, the typical slide uh, in, part of the presentation shows the, the fire hose and the guy being blasted uh, backwards by the fact that he's drinking from the fire hose. And it is truly an experience for anybody who's not had wheel-to-wheel -wheel competitive experience that's, that's, that stresses your abilities. It pushes your abilities. Um, the first day is typically four exercises that are run at at seven tenths or eight tenths they're not they're not at speed per se but we're getting comfortable with being close we're getting comfortable with um, and developing a keener situational awareness and recognizing that you know while you're not pointing by anymore you are presenting your car and making your intentions clear it's not that we don't tell students you can never point again in fact we encourage make your intentions known by whatever means necessary. But the kind of incidents we see in our program are typically lack of situational awareness. It's rarely an issue where contact occurs because of aggression. It's, it's usually because I didn't see him or I thought I'd get through there all right. And uh, it takes both drivers to successfully complete a pass. And that's really the, the, the premise of the, of the, of the program. We started something new last year that's been really well received. We got permission from some of our drivers who have been involved in on-track incidents. And we show, say, Carrie, you and I were in an incident. We both have videos. We're required to have it. We show your video and my video and then just ask the students, what did you see? So that, and then facilitate the conversation so that the objective is at the end of the conversation, everybody understands what each driver could have or should have done to avoid the contact. Yeah, that's really good. It's, um, I've experienced this myself where having that in-car video is so important because in the, in the moment when it's happening, it, it, you rarely know what really happened and you go back to look at the video and you're like, oh yeah, I, I, I messed that up. I shouldn't have done this or should have done that. Um, whenever, you know, most, you know, most drivers that come out of an incident are the first thing they say is, you know, it wasn't my fault. And uh, having that video there is very helpful for everybody. Yeah. And it's interesting too. You can sometimes get out of uh, your car after, after contact, have that perspective as you described that, you know, it wasn't my fault. Look at your own video and say, yeah, I still don't think it was my fault. And then look at the other driver's video and say, oh, I guess it was my fault. Mm -hmm. So yeah. having, having that, to that full perspective um, is certainly valuable for the school, but um, even more so when uh, when when our drivers are involved in some kind of an incident. Yep. So in terms of getting into the school, you can't just 
sign up one day with no experience and expect to get in. There are certain requirements, isn't there? Yeah, typically um, when our schools run, we're usually running them in conjunction with a BMW CCA chapter. And so the the event chair for the race school is going to vet the drivers and he or she might uh, seek counsel from the chief instructor who's going to be running the, the school. We have uh, we have a, a number of chief instructors depending on where the school runs, but there's always someone assigned from 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 club racing to work with the local chapter. And, you know, it's always a bit of a challenge. Um, ideally, we'll ask a chief instructor of an HPDE program for a recommendation. Uh, we don't always get that. Um, sometimes we have people come from outside the CCA school infrastructure. Um, so vetting becomes really important. And of course, you want to you want to make a conservative judgment um, to ensure that the student gets a good opportunity to succeed uh, and, and you doesn't put anybody else in the program at risk. By the same token, sometimes the experience sounds pretty deep and the vetting was done appropriately, but we find that maybe we weren't given the, exactly the right story. So from time to time, we have a student that will maybe ask to stop running the on-track exercises. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll have he or she complete the program in class only and then repeat later after additional experience is gained. That's unusual, but it can occur. Yeah. Um, I, and so I went through the SCCA driving competition school um, if there's other people in other organizations, does does that I mean you, you just take that into account as another factor in vetting those folks folks if they are ready for um, your school, or is there in some cases uh, a license would transfer without going through a school? So that's a great question. Um, so oftentimes, if someone comes to us with a fair amount of on track experience in 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 school environments, maybe they've done some non-sanctioned body racing with with lemons or with with chumps, so that we know they've got some some wheel-to-wheel -wheel experience. Or they may bring a credential from a commercial organization um, who who put on race schools, who have the advantage certainly of providing hardware and curriculum, but sometimes their focus is to collect the tuition. You know, our, mm -hmm. our programs are very low in cost, but you've got to run your own car, of course. So the, the thing I think that um, does happen in those cases is, is we, we try to do a good thorough job and sometimes we'll even do a, a phone interview with the driver to, to better understand. Uh, if you've come to BMW CCA with, say, experience with another organization, another sanctioned body organization, we generally are more inclined and positive towards that driver if it's a vintage motorsport council um, member group, because those are non-contact mm -hmm. organizations. Uh, other other organizations, and the SCCA certainly is, is not a slouch, and we certainly are very happy when an SCCA driver asks to race with us but we'll oftentimes take a, a more conservative route and provide a provisional license. So Kara, mm -hmm. if you came to us with your B-Spec experience and said, I'd like to race with you, um, we'd ask you for a couple of references that are known to us. So, you know, you're getting to know the BMW CCA drivers. So you mm -hmm. might actually have opportunity to, to be on track with one of them. And so you'd provide some reference information or maybe a, a series official would speak for your driving. 
and then assuming that we've vetted you properly, your medical is up to date, um, and you've got a current license elsewhere, then we'd give you a provisional license. And then you'd run with us for four four events. And if you were successful in those four events without contact, then we'd convert to a competition license. Cool. Good to know. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your role uh, as chairman and what does that mean? And what kind of things are happening in the BMW club organization? Well, I think one thing to always say about our our group is that um, we are all volunteers. There's there's one person on the team who's paid. She's our licensing administrator, and we share her with other duties in the in the in the national office in South Carolina. But otherwise, we're all volunteers, and we're kind of structured in a, a sensible way. I think when it comes to delivering events. We have a national competition steward. We have a national technical steward. We have a national rules director. We have a national grid steward and uh, a national timing and scoring steward. And we're, we're very fortunate because I don't think any of those people have less than 25 years of track experience uh, and organizational management within the track uh, in the, the track programs that are run around the country. So that's the core group for event delivery. And then we have, uh, you know, on the more administrative and business management side, we have a, a director of promotions, a director of sponsor relations. Um, we have someone who looks after the time trial program, uh, somebody who looks after the uh, club race school program exclusively. So the things that we do to deliver benefits to, to our members, to our drivers, uh, is fairly well covered. And we'll run a monthly meeting. We had one last night, in fact, where we did a debrief on lessons learned on delivering the VIR event, which was typically our biggest. We think we had about 100 drivers total. Um, and so we take this continuous improvement idea to heart. You know, again, we had, we had already had the results from the uh, from the driver survey. So we peeled the onion and went through the comments and feedback and agreed some things to do differently for our uh, subsequent races coming up. And uh, I'll probably uh, in the next couple of weeks write to all of our drivers. But of course, about a third of them were at VIR roughly. Um, I'll write to everybody saying lessons learned. This is what we're going to be doing differently. We're hearing you. We appreciate what you're saying. We're not going to do everything you've asked, but uh, if we're not going to do it, uh, maybe this is a little bit of the reasoning why. Awesome. Well, outside of the BMW CCA, um, th th I just want to give you this opportunity. Is there any other organization or group or person that you want to call out or promote or say thanks to um, kind of as we wrap this up, just, uh, well, I, I think the the one thing I I just tell a little bit of a story that encourages people to think about their driving program and their driver development efforts in a in as comprehensive a way as they can. We we have um, the organization I'm going to call out happens to be uh, American Endurance Racing, who I've I've competed with over a number of years together with a with a partner. And we run and operate that car I mentioned that went over over upside down. So we had three other guys you know, that we knew from from the track that went to race school with us, and they all got uh, credentialed as club racers, but they didn't have cars. So they all came to race with us in endurance. They hadn't they didn't have their own programs. They did they'd never really raced much uh, besides school wheel to wheel. 
And through a couple of seasons, those three guys raced with us with AER and we competed successfully. We, you know, we had our mechanical problems. We had some occasional bumps and bruises along the way from a car, car, uh, car contact standpoint, but nothing serious. And all three of them went on to get club racing licenses, cars, and compete with us today. And I think that, you know, that's a shout out to any of the organizations that are out there, particularly that offer endurance. It's a way to get your feet on the ground with somebody who's been there and done that. And then if you want to go the sprint racing route, we'd absolutely love to have you with BMW CCA. You know, actually, you just mentioned something that kind of triggered my memory. So <clears throat> let's say somebody wants to start racing and they haven't really done it. They want to dip their feet in. How, how should they start, you think? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, get enough experience within the HPD environment so that you're you're soloing regularly and successfully. I think that really is the first step. And you can do that on your own pace. Um, I did it in a couple of years. Some people take longer. Some people probably can do it in less time. It depends on your natural talents, I suppose. Once you've achieved that, take a competition school. We'd, we'd plug ours because, well, we, we like it and we think it's very effective, uh, but there are others out there. And then if, if you're ready to go racing and you've got the infrastructure and support, whether that's buddies or you've got the, the, pocket, the deep pockets and can pay for somebody to come to help you support the car, then you know, you're able to focus. But another less expensive and socially a lot of fun way to do it is to find a, a, somebody who's running an endurance team, get a seat, um, you know, do that for, for a number of races and get some wheel to wheel, get, get a little bit more what happens in the pits and paddock to keep the car running. Uh, that's a big part of your program. Uh, and, uh, and then take it in the direction that, uh, that you feel is right. But if you're a BMW guy, then BMW CCA club racing is a good place to be. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really want to thank you for your time uh, today and uh, your input and your insight into the organization and, um, you know, the experience you've had with racing. It's good to share this with everybody. I want to thank you for listening or watching Drive to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope that we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. I absolutely love hearing from you, and I promise I'll personally respond to every comment, every question, and every request. If you want to connect, start with our website, driventocompete.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Whether you reach out or not, please like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, go kick some ass.